0: This week on the Tech On Tap podcast, we get the service provider's perspective on NetApp from TierPoint's Vice President of Architecture and Engineering, David Hines. Well, 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 well. Welcome to the Tech On Tap podcast
1: with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipalk. Zipalk. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm on the phone with David Hines, and we're going to talk about TierPoint. Uh, so, David, if you could talk about what you do at TierPoint, how to reach you, and um, what sort of things you do with NetApp.
1: Sure, sure. So, yes, yeah, name's David Hines. I'm the vice president of Architecture and Engineering here at TierPoint. So my responsibility really is pretty broad. It's around um, the architecture of not only TierPoint's infrastructure. We have 43 data centers across the United States, network, storage, virtualization, and and more. Um, But it's also really the architecture of our services. What are we offering our customers? How are we helping them be successful in the IT world? So, I've got an architecture team, an engineering team, uh, quite a large group spread out across the U.S., focused in those areas. Um, TierPoint is a leading data center and cloud-managed services provider. As I mentioned, we have 43 data centers across the U.S. We are U.S. based right now, Um, and really NetApp has become a real core part of a large number of our services. It really started with just shared storage. And we focused on network-attached storage primarily. This is back 20, what, 2008 um, into 2010, 2011 timeframe. And then really it's just evolved from there. We've started taking advantage of some more fabric-based solutions, block storage. And today we use it as a core of our FlexPod deployments um, as a part of our cloud services and, um, you know, have had great success with the product for many, many years.
0: Excellent. So, um, you talked a little bit more about TierPoint and what do you do. Um, so, how do you how do you guys use NetApp? I mean, what's TierPoint doing with NetApp today, and, and you know, why would you be using NetApp as, as opposed to other things?
1: Great question. So, as I mentioned, it's really um, a wide variety of, of services that we use the NetApp for. To start, it's the core of our FlexPod deployments. You know, we offer multi-tenant cloud services to our customers. Um, that could be for production, workloads that they run day in, day out. It could be as a disaster recovery target for uh, recovery in, in the event of some, of you know, disaster, you know, to, you know hurting their production environment. Um, we also use it as the general shared storage platform at the center of all of our data centers. So, if a customer has a need of an NFS mount point, or a SIFS share, or even a fiber channel, LUN, or iSCSI um blocks device, that is going to be sourced off of a NetApp controller and storage device. Really, you know, we've kind of evolved over time with respect to the storage platforms that we've had in play, I think it's best to describe it as a, as a consolidation over time uh, in 2008 while we used netapp we also had probably three other storage devices servicing either nas block um, or maybe even a, a deep archive backup type appliance and you know in 2012 2013 we really stepped back and reassessed and said with the change in storage in the marketplace can we not just consolidate on a single platform and it provide all of these services for us why do we need to continue to proliferate a number of different storage devices to meet each siloed need. Uh, we looked at a variety of vendors, NetApp being one of them, leveraged some partners to help test them out, and ultimately decided that the clustered data on tap, which was really the, the new platform that, that NetApp was, was pushing with respect to their, their data on tap platform overall, decided it really met that need, that consolidation need. I can do just about everything with cluster data on tap, and the clustering capability, that really scale-out capability. I can have a, a dedicated HA pair for high performance, a dedicated HA pair for deep archive, um, and so on and so forth, uh, really, again, provided that consolidation capability so I could centralize on one platform in all data centers.
0: So are you leveraging the cluster in you know with storage tiering, with performance tiers and capacity tiers in the same cluster, or are you separating them out into your own separate things?
1: So we keep everything in this into a combined cluster as much as we're able. And really, it's because of the advantages. We can move data, we can migrate lists, and we can present um, these data tar- storage targets to our customers and then make adjustments on the back end with non-impactful to to our customer base. Um, in certain instances, we will separate out a cluster. Usually that's because we've exceeded some maximum. Uh, we did rely on fiber channel for many years. We do less of that today, so those cluster limits are not as small when you introduce fiber channel services. Um, but again, as I said, we primarily try to, to maintain a single cluster with multiple types of storage devices in them so we can move data around as we see fit.
0: Okay, so you'll be able to use the non-disruptive volume moves and that sort of thing to, to kind of shift things around as needed.
1: Absolutely, and that's really been a huge boon to us with respect to um, moving off of older platforms to newer platforms over time. I mean, this is a challenge that all storage teams have had, you know, since the beginning of time with storage systems really, is I have this old platform. I need to get off of it onto the new one. How do I do that? What is my time investment? And you can imagine as a service provider that becomes almost infinitely more complex because now I have to schedule with each individual customer downtime, you know, cutovers, and and sometimes they just plain don't want to move. So being able to take advantage of that clustering and that data migration on the back end to move them from an old platform, say, for example, a 3250 that we had had in one of our first FlexPod deployments in our Nashville data center, we moved all that data to an 8080 EX all-flash array. And um, our customers were none the wiser. So that was a huge, huge boon to our just really operational efficiency um, for uh, life cycle management of the platform.
0: Now, when you do these data moves and you start moving things around, do you actually notify your customers? Like, hey, we're going to be undergoing maintenance. You know, it may seem disrupt. You may may seem some slowness or something like that. Or do you just do it?
1: know we, no, we are very, very careful about change control here. We have a very uh, strict policy on writing, you know, what we call MOPs or method of procedure for any change that could potentially be impactful to our customer base. So we do notify our customers. Uh, we let them know that we're doing maintenance on the ray. If we believe there's going to be some impact, uh, we try to describe what that impact is and how long will it last, right? You know, is this something that's going to last hours or minutes? Um, And then uh, we have very specific uh, maintenance windows uh, during which we we perform these activities, Uh, again, trying to be as non-impactful as possible to our customers, typically from the midnight to 6 a.m. window.
0: So no hold my beer moments? (laughs)
1: <laughs> we try to avoid those. Uh, I know a lot of enterprises sometimes fly by the seat of their pants. Look, I can admit guilty in early in my career, lessons learned the hard way. Um, but when you have, you know, almost five thousand customers uh, across our footprint, and then sometimes hundreds on one of these platforms, none of the hold my beer moments. <laughs> I'm not willing to risk that anymore.
0: Not just customers, customers that you want to keep.
1: So, yes, I think that's the key, uh, is that we want them to be happy with the services we're providing and trust that we are doing the right thing.
0: <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a tough question here. And um, this is kind of like picking your favorite kid, but top three tap features that help you in your day-to-day business.
1: Well, I would say there, there's two that come right to the, to the top of mind. One is the encryption at rest has become just table stakes for us with compliance. Um, NetApp made it very easy. You know, we started with external key management. Um, We've since moved to on array key management, which which they provide now in the latest versions of uh, ONTAP. And that, again, table stakes as a service provider. Compliance and security is just about everything uh, today for for businesses, and if we didn't have that, you know, customers wouldn't be able to leverage our, our shared storage services. So that's one. And that's still evolving, which is great. We don't really have to buy Self-encrypting drives anymore. Uh, like I said, we don't have to use external key management. All of the evolution of that feature has been very beneficial. The next is the data efficiency around inline deduplication and compression. And um, you know, we've used the the post-processing dedupe. Um, you know, cap- and compression capabilities on NetApp for years and years and years. Um, it can be somewhat CPU intensive, depending on the amount of data um, and how busy the arrays are overall. And with Flash, which we've, you know, moved to um, pretty much across the board, all Flash, um, it's it's critical, right, just to drive those costs down and making sure that we're getting the most efficient use of our array. So we track that, that dedupe and compression um, feature on new on-tap releases religiously. And honestly, I've been very pleased with the move from volume-based um, dedupe and compression in earlier releases for the all-flash arrays to now aggregate-based. Um, and now we're looking forward to the next release, I, I believe 9.5, where we've got um, some post-processing capability on these all-flash arrays to really um, in situations where we didn't have good uh, inline dedupe um uh, because it was volume-based, not aggregate-based, it's going back and, and enhancing that efficiency after the fact. Um, I think the last one, and it's less of an on-tap feature and more of um, an AFF array feature, you know, we've recently started purchasing the AFF 700s um, and love the chassis design. Um, the ability to move both processing units as well as uh, cards um, for expansion in and out of that, uh, without having to swap out physical heads and that sort of thing, has been a huge benefit to us for lifecycle management.
0: Okay, good answers. I didn't ex- some of, a couple of them I didn't even expect. I didn't expect the uh, the A seven hundred answer. Um, so. One thing I wanted to ask about was, um, you know, you mentioned storage efficiencies. Have you familiarized yourself with the logical space accounting feature?
1: You know, it doesn't sound familiar to me. Now, that being that I'm not the the guy turning the knobs every day, it's very possible my team has. We have a, a really good partnership with NetApp, and you guys do a lot of training for us. But, no, it doesn't sound familiar to me.
0: Well, let me put my marketing hat on for you.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. So,
0: and I like to tout this feature because I think it's pretty cool, especially in your realm, right? So um, as a service provider, you probably sell by capacity sometimes, right?
1: That is correct.
0: So one of the challenges, and you mentioned it in your favorite features, is that storage efficiencies have gotten pretty good. You save a lot of space, right? That's great. So as a service provider that charges by capacity – if someone can write, you know, two terabytes more data than they really are actually writing, right, because, you know, you're only using up four terabytes, but maybe you've written six terabytes because of efficiencies, that kind mm-hmm. of maybe eats into your bottom line a little bit. Right. So logical space accounting uh, in, in Nontap 9.4 allows you to show users what they're actually using, right, instead of the storage efficiency savings. So instead of showing them 4 terabytes because we saved that with compression and compaction and deduplication, we show them 6 terabytes because that's what they've actually written to the system. 9.5 allows you to also enforce quotas on that logical space accounting. So I can now say, hey, Mr. User, you're only allowed 6 terabytes. Um, Once you've hit that 6 terabyte limit, you're not going to be able to write anymore, and and they're going to only see six terabytes, whereas before they would see four terabytes, and they would keep riding on and on and on until they hit six terabytes, which in actuality might have been eight terabytes.
1: That is a very interesting feature. You are right. I <laughs> <laughs> for a service provider, you definitely found one that sparked my interest. There no, you go. I have not heard of that one. So you said 9.4. Is that nine point four. Nine point
0: four allows you to do the actual presentation of the storage. Like it's a, it's basically a volume option. Is logical space That's accounting. True. And then on 9.5, you can enforce quotas based on that.
1: Gotcha. All right. Well, they're going to hate me now because now I've got a new task for them.
0: There you go. Congratulations.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So great. No, I appreciate that. That is an exciting feature because, yes, as you say, this is a challenge for a provider that's selling. Capacity and um, how are we accounting for those efficiencies in that in that sale? So very good.
0: And, and I've often argued that if you think about it, a storage administrator, no matter whether you're a service provider or at a university or at a you know a basic you know bank you are still a service provider, like you're providing storage and services for your end users, whether they are paying for it or, you know, with actual money, or by way of budgetary needs and that sort of thing. So ultimately, everyone is a service provider.
1: That's right. That is true. We all have a customer somewhere.
0: That's right. My customer is my (laughs) (laughs) five-year-old. He yeah, I'm familiar with that. <laughs> he doesn't pay anything. Um, so, yeah, yeah, he pays in hugs. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So um, as far as NetApp's concerned, I mean, what made you choose NetApp, and what's your opinion on the overall NetApp vision as it stands today?
1: So, I mean, really, we, as I mentioned earlier, we did an assessment of a variety of storage vendors. And I think what – well, I know based on our testing, because we really did test the devices, it was really down to – performance and breadth of capability, right? You know, when we, when we tested the performance of the NetApp, and at the time um, when we did this, like I mentioned, 3250, I believe, was the model we had settled on. It was kind of a middle-of-the-road model. It was a hybrid array with flash cache and the like. Um, and we did some, some testing, um, equivalent you know, device testing between that and some competitors of NetApp. And really, the performance was just amazing. You know, taking advantage of the storage efficiencies that were already built into the array, things like linked clones, um, you know, all of those sort of features really made a demonstrable difference in the performance that we saw in the array with respect to uh, performance specifically. The next was breadth of features. Again, as I mentioned, you know, our our evolution has been consolidation. We don't want to manage three, four, five, six storage devices in a data center if we can prevent that, especially as our footprint expands. It's just not as um, tenable uh, from an operational perspective. So when we looked at competitors, we said, well, can, can they do all of these things? Can they do fiber channel and iSCSI and NFS and SIFS and potentially other things that we're asking this array to do? Um, and oh, by the way, can it scale easily Unfortunately fortunately for your competitors, the answer was no. Fortunately for NetApp, the answer was yes. And and when we put those side-by-side side and went through our scorecard, the decision was easy. It was like, we're going to go with the clustered data on tap. And specifically, we needed the features and clustered data on tap and and said, we're going to go with this platform as the core of our storage uh, going forward. Um, with respect to the vision of NetApp, um, you know, I, I'm a huge proponent, as we've discussed. I been very attached to data on tap. Uh, I've been very pleased with the future of that platform. I've also been very pleased with the kind of accelerated uh, development cycle that you guys have gotten into with respect to the platform. So we're seeing features more frequently. It's almost becoming difficult for us to keep up. Um, I was at NetApp Insight. I think interestingly, there seems to be this move to a software company at your core. Um, that provides hardware devices. Uh, I think that's wise. You know, um, as we know, software-defined storage is, is is kind of the mantra, at least in the industry, even if it's not necessarily the the reality holistically. Um, so yeah, the vision seems to 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 be wise and resonates well with us, at least here at TierPoint.
0: So, what about the cl- the cloud enablement uh, data fabric story? Like, how does that fit into what TierPoint does?
1: So, I mean, we're interested in that because, obviously, we play in the cloud enablement field ourselves. You know, we, we pitch ourselves as a hybrid IT provider. And what does that mean? That means that we recognize customers are going to have a multi-cloud strategy. They're going to live in a variety of places, and we want to be able to help be the glue that helps customers manage that diversity. And it, and it really felt like that was kind of NetApps play as well um, in being able to provide services in a multi cloud strategy world right um, and and evolve with that uh, multi cloud strategy um, and plan really for for IT shops so again I think it resonated I think there was some opportunity you know to be fair that I saw especially with NetApp providing things like cloud volumes and these sort of things in the AS in the AWS world and you um, and I'm getting the product names that are escaping me, but being able to provide NetApp services specifically in these hyperscalers. Um, that's the benefit of a data center company like TierPoint is, is being at the edge, um, which I think a lot of people have heard the, the buzzword, you know, the edge, edge services. And we're actually strategically placed for that because we are at the edge. We're in a lot of secondary markets um, outside of where some of the core hyperscale data centers live. And they want to be closer to the eyeballs. You know, that's part of the 5G world that we're moving into, right? They want to have lower latency, higher performance services to the end user. Um, and so, again, I think TierPoint sees that as an opportunity for us to be that bridge, right, or a gateway even from, you know, kind of tier one core service Hyperscaler um, to the end user in the secondary market or or you know, marketplace and that in that secondary uh, environment.
0: So as a service provider, you have to worry about security, and you mentioned it a little bit with the data at rest encryption and end up volume encryption. How do you uh, make a customer comfortable with the fact that they're going to be possibly living in the same storage apartment building as other uh, customers? And ensure that things are going to be secure with NetApp.
1: Great question. So we have a couple of different conversation points that we discuss, and actually this this probably would be a good number three feature that I'm about to discuss with respect to data on tap that I didn't mention earlier. And that's um, quality of service. So we make uh, we take great advantage of quality of service um, and the controls that NetApp provides on their device to ensure that, as you say, they're sharing a, a storage environment with other customers, that they're not negatively impacted by them. So that's that's a really, it's part of security because availability, you know, it, for those that are familiar with kind of the CIA mantra around security, right, um, you know, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Availability means performance, right, I mean, in, in some respects, you know, that my workloads are going to perform the way I expect them to and respond, in the way that I expect them to. And so we make sure that they understand that we're gonna prevent noisy neighbor, we're gonna make sure somebody doing something either wrong or um, exerting their workloads aren't gonna negatively impact the customer that's sharing that environment. So that's one. Um, isolation is another, you know, we take that very seriously. Um, while in multi-cloud environments, or I'm sorry, multi-tenant cloud environments rather, Sometimes customers will share um, storage pools, if you will, Um, for those familiar with VMware data stores or the like. um, For customers that are concerned, we offer them isolation through storage virtual machines, dedicated volumes, dedicated QS, and and so on, right? So that their environment is both logically Isolated from the rest of uh, the customer base, right? From a network perspective, down through to the to the storage devices. So, and then as you mentioned, we we already talked about encryption. I mean, that's table stakes today. Uh, we ensure customers know that their data is encrypted at rest. That you know, when we remove disks from the array for replacement, repair. Um, their bits aren't walking away, you know, easily um, available to snooping to snooping eyes, right? And that uh, uh, that encryption is going to protect them from that sort of thing.
0: And the storage virtual machine itself acts as its own boundary as well, right? I mean, there's a, it's a file handle boundary for NAS as well as a you know segmentation off from other data points, so they people can access the data lift from this SVM and get to the data on this SVM. So it's a logical separation of the data.
1: That's correct, and that we use exclusive, I mean, not exclusively, but always when customers are consuming shared storage in the data center. Um, We can use it in our multi-tenant cloud when customers ask us to, right, if they have some compliance requirement. But it really is about that, right? It's about that clean isolation, um, network on down through to the the actual volume uh, that we're presenting to them. Uh, That gives them that enhanced security, you know, the ability to tie it into things like their active directory and so on and so forth as well, especially if they're consuming SIFs is a a real advantage because it's their authentication domain, it's not shared with something else and broader. Um, There's a whole series of features there that are really advantageous for us on NetApp that really a lot of the other platforms that we had explored didn't provide.
0: So as a service provider. I imagine that you have started to implement some methodologies around automation and DevOps to make the job easier when, you know, not only for your admins, but also for your customers. So what sort of things are you doing from that in that realm to enable your business to succeed?
1: Great question. And you are correct. We are spending a lot of time really to use a Google term, turning our, our, our current sysadmins and engineers into site reliability engineers. I mean, that's really the drive and focus, so that they're spending less time on toil and more time on innovative solutions to common problems. So, where did we start? We started with WFA, the Workflow Automator from NetApp. We actually used that for many, many years, starting back in, I'm trying to think, 2012, maybe even earlier if it was around. We used to have some. You know, some NetApp um, employees come to our site, kind of sit with us, help us use that tool to automate common functions, you know, expansion of volumes, you know, really just creation of volumes, you know, just upgrades to HA pairs. I mean, there's a whole slew of activities that we were working on. Um, That has evolved, you know, WFA is great, but it's not something that necessarily we used outside of the NetApp realm. So over time, we became more of an Ansible shop. Uh, This is even prior to the Red Hat acquisition and uh, started using that because it can be used all over the place across a variety of platforms and and NetApp being kind of one of those. And more and more we've been moving in that direction. In fact, I'm a part of the VTAP and uh, got an opportunity to see some presentations from some of the NetApp Uh, experts, um, you know, around what they're doing with uh, Ansible and automation using tools like Ansible uh, to help us continue to evolve our own practice and drive our engineers to spend more time automating and less time on the toil of fixing a problem that they will probably see again manually.
0: Yeah, and it ultimately takes human error out of the equation. You know, every time it can be repeatable task you try to do something that automates it to make it so you're not potentially fat fingering something.
1: Correct. Um, it really does save an enormous amount of time and energy in either manual quality control um, and analysis or repair of, of an issue. Um, you know, more and more, we've been using this just in our in our maintenance operations as well, so that when you're at midnight, you're not bleary-eyed and, and making a mistake, you're running scripts that have already been pre-tested in a lab. Uh, we actually have a, a full suite of NetApp devices um, that we that we use to do all sorts of testing against. Um, and then now, primarily, we're using it for a testbed for our, our automation processes. So, yeah, big program. Uh, it came along with a real culture shift um, over here, I will say. While we did have some pockets of automation with WFA, it wasn't ubiquitous. A big, a big push at, at TierPoint, specifically in the architecture and engineering group, um, was, a, was really a mind shift and culture shift with respect to how we do work. Not only is it about automating, but it's about how we engage in getting tasks into the team and working. You know, we're big proponents of agile and Kanban and workflow management processes like that because it fits well with the development mindset. Um, which is really what we're doing. And the next part is really providing tools and training to your engineers. You know, we're, again, big proponents of, of using Git repositories and the like to manage code because we don't want to have a lot of automation and then that disappear as employees turn over and move on to, to new career opportunities. So trying to make sure that we have a full program around automation has been a real big push here so that it's not just 1Z, 2Z and gets lost in the shuffle.
0: Okay, are you leveraging the uh, NetApp pub at all, NetApp.io, for some of your you know, Ansible cookbooks and that sort of thing?
1: Yes. So the engineers have really taken that on um, again after having some some training from NetApp specifically. After we, I saw the VTAP uh, presentations and had an opportunity to hear directly from some of the NetApp experts you know I forwarded that information on to my architects and engineers and they've really taken it and run with it so absolutely I mean we definitely are in a position where we don't want to reinvent the wheel when we don't have to um we're not to the point where we're contributing anything at this point yet but I look forward to that day where you know we can start contributing to a broader community so that'll be exciting
0: excellent so you guys have mentioned, or you've mentioned FlexPod a few times. Uh, what made you decide to standardize on, Flexpa, uh, on FlexPod as opposed to building something yourself?
1: Well, you know, we're a, we're, a, we're a fairly small organization, you know, in the scheme of things. I mean, especially when you compare your, you know, our group and our teams to the NetApps of the world or the Cisco's or, or VMware's, you know, we only have so many resources that we can devote to testing validating, um, and ultimately you know, b- deploying solutions. So when I was tasked with identifying what is our next multi-tenant cloud and storage solution and storage solution going to be, um, I really looked to our partners and and there were a lot of reference models right you know out there you know that 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 came to um you know our doorstep and basically were options for us to utilize but when it came to FlexPod, i already mentioned why netapp really was the winner um, from a storage platform at that point we were like well it makes a whole lot of sense for us to take advantage of a reference model so that we don't have to engineer every element of this from scratch what we really need to focus on is the multi tenancy aspect how are we going to carve this device up that we've created from this reference model and and provide that to our customers so that that they have the self-service capabilities that they need um, the flexibility and expansion and growth that they demand out of a cloud service and the performance and availability that the overall platform needs to maintain Um, without having to go through and kind of figure out how I'm going to piece all of this stuff together from individual point solutions. So that was a huge help. It saved us a ton of time. The resources that we do have, we could focus on those more customer-centric concepts as opposed to trying to build it from scratch.
0: Yeah, and ultimately it just saves you time and money because, I mean, time is money.
1: (laughs) It really is. And, you know, I I have six architects today. Back when we did the original, I think we had three. Um, you know, we, we take a lot of advantage from our OEM partners and VARs and, and, and their ability to kind of force multiply for us. And again, a reference model like FlexPod was a huge boon for us.
0: So um, enough about NetApp. Let's talk about TierPoint. So what sort of things is TierPoint looking to do in the future?
1: So, uh, I already mentioned one, so TierPoint's looking to take full advantage of the edge, right? Uh, You know, we are well positioned in secondary markets across the United States to be that kind of bridge um, between, you know, large content providers and content centers to markets that are closer to the end user. So, we look to continue to grow in that area. Um, provide more connectivity, um, higher bandwidth, lower latency, not only between our data centers, but to local regions. So so that's definitely one. Um, another is really to continue to evolve, the, you know, our role in customers' multi-cloud strategy, which we talked a little bit about earlier. Um, you know, there was some, I think, Maybe concerns the wrong word, but just observation from TierPoint over time that, oh, well, customers are going to hyperscalers. You know, where does that leave us with respect to the services we offer our customers? And the reality is what we've actually seen versus I think where the market thought it was going to go is that absolutely there are some services that customers are either software as a service or workloads that they've spun up in hyperscale cloud providers. But the reality is there's still a lot of other systems and services that they either need to run on-prem where their users sit or in a provider like TierPoint. So we're going to continue to evolve to be that glue, um, that bridge between the, the the enterprise or the organizations, IT um, and, and user community and the consumption of the applications that they use to do their work day to day and where those systems and services live. Is it helping customers manage a hyperscaler service system or, or virtual data center? Is it co-location and connectivity services in one of our data centers? Is it uh, multi-tenant cloud or, or hybrid cloud services from us? That's really where we're going to continue to evolve um, and be uh, that best hybrid IT partner to our customer base.
0: Sounds like there's a lot of expansion in the future for you here, and that's that's a good thing.
1: It's a great thing. It's a, it's a growing market. I mean, hyperscale cloud is growing year over year uh, enormously, but... Customers in general are really getting out of running their own data centers and moving to managed service providers like TierPoint more and more. It's just more efficient. And so we see a real huge growth trajectory for TierPoint and are
0: excited for the future. Anything else you want to add, David?
1: No, I think we're <laughs> my brain's drained, I think. <laughs>
0: All right, <laughs> you cool. know,
1: with a uh, a lot of, lot of activity this week. so but I do appreciate the time. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Lots of good topics.
0: Yep, no problem. Thanks for joining us. Um, again, if we want to reach you, how do we get in touch with you?
1: So the best way to get in touch with me is probably my email, which is david.hines at tierpoint.com. I'm happy to answer questions, engage in conversation, and um, you know look forward to uh, future partnership with with and continued partnership with NetApp. It's been exciting so far and look forward to the future.
0: Awesome, David, thanks so much for joining us this week. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at podcast.netup.com or send us a tweet at NetUp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via TechonTechPodcast.com. If you like to show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank David Hines of TearPoint for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening.